we have category experts that are really focused on the topics that they've went into. Category experts to me, which are similar to people who are focusing clinically on orthopedics, on cardiovascular, same kind of concept, but in the indirect spend way. Hello and welcome to HIMSCast. I'm Susan Morse, Executive Editor of Healthcare Finance News. With us today is David Panino and Brian White, and they are both going to introduce themselves and talk about cost-cutting measures that hospitals and health systems uh, can take. Welcome to both of you. David, would you like to uh, start this off, please? Sure. Thank you for the, uh, the time and the opportunity to talk to you today. Um, so, by way of background, um, I started Logic Source in 2009, uh, back then in partnership with Bain Capital. Um, and we started the business with uh, a macro thesis that organizations, um, big and small, um, were underinvested in sourcing and procurement around their um, purchase services or indirect goods and services within the enterprise. Um, we also found back then that most of the solutions that were available on the market required CFOs and CEOs to write a check. They were all consulting-based and not execution-based. And we wanted to build a firm that helped companies with real arms and legs and rolled up sleeves and dirty fingernails, You know, helping them drive profit improvement, reduce risk, and uh, mitigating supply chain uh, challenges in terms of being able to get what they needed, where they needed it, when they needed it at the right price. Which was so important during COVID uh, and yes. any time, of course. Brian? Well, I've been in healthcare for many years. Uh, I served as the president and executive vice president for LifeBridge Health in Maryland before joining Bonscores Mercy as its president for the East Coast. I joined Logic Source uh, this year as a partner because I really wanted to help healthcare in a different way than I have in the past 20 years. But I'm quite experienced and quite familiar with healthcare and all the dynamics and all the challenges um, that, that surround us. And uh, I'm excited to be to have this conversation today. Well, um, thank you both. I want to talk about supply chain, and we know they took such a hit during COVID-19. What should executives be looking to do to avoid the next shortage, you know, uh, if we have another crisis? It's it's a great question. I think we've uh, hopefully everyone's learned a really hard lesson. You know, is supply chain teams were underfunded um, in in many institutions. They they didn't exist, um, and and they relied on um, partnerships. We're going to talk about I think in a little bit uh, around group purchasing, um, and that didn't give them the horsepower internally to be able to flex to a crisis and. I talked to hospital executives that were chief administrative officers, CFOs, who were you know, out in the hallway uh, making phone calls to try to find masks and try to find sanitizer or rubber gloves and things of that nature because they didn't have a team to do it. And they didn't have a supplier ecosystem to be able to support them in a surge. I don't think they'll make that mistake again, um, I hope. Uh, although I will tell you, as we travel around and meet with executives, uh, trying to convince them to fund supply chain teams and, and importantly, um, indirect procurement teams, um, I think is critical to make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again. So you have to have a team at the ready that can flex up 
to be able to manage through a crisis. And you have to have an ecosystem of suppliers available, already approved to work with you so that if you see uh, you know, uh, an, Im- an impact like this, you can immediately throttle up and, and manage the storm. Yeah, it's my understanding a lot of these supplies came from overseas and there was that bottleneck in manufacturing. So I, I imagine, did you see a lot of that as an issue? You know, it was interesting. Our businesses, and, and, and Brian is the expert in the healthcare side of this. Yeah. I come from retail and consumer packaged goods and uh, financial services. And I think it's really interesting for healthcare executives to, to, to hear that because what large publicly traded enterprises did during this, um, we were able to get 18-wheeler loads of all the things we needed for our retail clients like Lululemon and Rite Aid and Gap, where the, the health institutions were struggling. Wow. Uh, and so, so I think the, the lesson there is the corporations were better prepared than a lot of the healthcare institutions. Brian, I'd, I'd be curious your opinion. Um. I think you said it well, and I think that um, I, I, I can't really add to it because I think you covered it really well and you captured it well. Yeah, that surprises me that the corporations would get things when the hospitals were just crying out for everything from masks to respirators. Um, now that I hope we're moving past COVID, though I keep hearing about surges and flu and RSV coming up and being issues this winter, and hospitals need to cut expenses because they're facing a, a recession, workforce shortages that uh, have them paying more for labor. And Brian, I'm wondering if you can talk about this, about cutting expenses, what hospitals can do, and what cost-saving measures are recommended to keep the supply chain coming in while cutting costs. Absolutely. Uh, so. Most know that historically our hospitals operate at very low margins, but the number of hospitals being projected today to lose money going forward on average is just overwhelming and very much, it just scares me. So quite common in hospital finance is we compare our cost structure and we compare our expenses to other hospitals, or we even look back to our prior year actuals. We rarely compare our costs like things like IT and facilities and marketing and services to what places like uh, Lululemon or Big Lots or other large-scale retail organizations spend on the very same things. And again, for people like me, it's not something that we think are are apples to apples. We think they're quite different, but they're not. They're the very same things that we bring in the healthcare. When you look at what you're able to do on those types of services, uh, the spend difference is astronomical. I believe, Dave, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's between uh, the spend differences are usually between seven to twelve percent on indirect spends, between uh, which saves millions of dollars, or could save millions of dollars per year for hospitals. Millions of dollars on things that we can spend to fund other things, like clinical our clinical labor crisis that's going on. I see you, there's turnover ratios that are overwhelming. There's capital demands that are overwhelming. So looking at these types of things with a different set of eyes, I think, is very very important, and understanding that we might not in the health system be subject matter experts at everything and where there are, bring them in and help us. Can you explain indirect spend and how that impacts supply chain and the money spent? Sure. Do you want me to take that one, Brian? Sure. 
So, so uh, depending on your industry, you call indirect spend different things. So we've heard in the healthcare industry, terms like purchase services or non-med surge. In retail, they would call it goods not for resale. In consumer packaged goods, they would call it indirect. What, what it is in all of these organizations is the stuff you buy to just be in business, marketing, okay. uh, technology, uh, distribution, logistics, facilities, maintenance, and repair, corporate services like legal and finance and HR. It's all the stuff that you just need to buy uh, to, to be in business. And interestingly, when I started this firm and now fast forward 13 years later, we have 65 billion of spend data running through our firm. And what we find is in corporate America, indirect spend or non-med surge is about 20% of revenue. Um, when we opened our healthcare business and, and, and met with our first 10, 15 CFOs of hospital systems, we found that that percentage held and in some cases was higher. So we think about a, you know, a $10 billion hospital system, about 20 to 25% of revenue is going to be non-med surge expenditures. So, and I would love to hear what CFOs told you, David. Were they all looking for the same thing? Were they all making the same spend mistakes? Or was it across the board or just a variety of things? Interesting. So, so the direct answer to your question is I've not met a CFO yet that didn't think they could be more efficient, didn't <laughs> think they could push and, and challenge supply contracts. Um, it, so it, I'd say uniformly, regardless of industry, they want help. I think in, in health systems, um, you know, I'd look to Brian on that in terms of what you think their perspective has been, Brian. Again, as I mentioned earlier, I think that we have a, a history of looking at comparing our cost structures to health systems, looking at what our GPOs bring in, uh, looking at our, our labor costs. Um, we have that history of, our, of looking at what others are doing in the same industry or what we did ourselves in the prior year. So the difference is we're look, we, there's a, there has to be a, a re, an openness to, to look at what the other industries are doing and seeing what they can bring in. So we've got to start to break the habit of, you know, what we did yesterday can work tomorrow because it just can't happen anymore. I have to ask then, how are other corporations more efficient than health systems? You know, I think that it's it's a focus issue. Um, you know, um, when you look at a, a, a corporation that has razor thin margins and they're publicly traded and they have to report to the street every quarter, they have teams more often, by the way, not, not all the time, more often fo focused on it. Um, and I think it's it's been, I think health systems have, have over relied on group purchasing organizations and not built internal capability through a partner like us or internally with their own hires to, to know how to do this. Thank you. I'd I, like to ask you about that. Yes, go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, I, again, we, we have a, an industry that has group purchasing organizations that uses the leverage of all of our healthcare resources to go out and get us preferential uh, rates. That is really skewed towards the higher cost stuff, the things that people like Logic Source aren't in, which is your medical surgical supplies. So there is some value proposition there, but people like me historically are looking at the high cost things, the things we can get through our GPO. We're looking at the labor costs and how we can manage our labor costs, all the major impacts to our, our economic modeling. Um, so the, the, the GPO is something I think that we've 
hoped or been told or assume that they're driving the indirect cost supplies down and the cost expenses down. Um, but as Dave shared, that's just not reality. Not what it does. Um, before we go on, can you explain what Logic Source does and how it helps health systems? Sure, sure. So, so um, Brian, you want me to take the high level on that? Yeah, and I'd love to share my experience if that's okay, because I think it, it might resonate with some of our listeners who are healthcare leaders. Absolutely. So, so at a very high level, Logic Source is a sourcing and procurement utility. Um, so we have built a capability, all execution focused. What I mean by that is there's a lot of consulting firms that will sell very expensive PowerPoint to say you can save money. Uh, but like the security monitor commercial, if you remember that, when they said there's a robbery, but I'm not a security guard, the consultants <laughs> will say there's a savings, but I, I'm not going to go get it. You go get it. And they get paid. Our business is more of a utility, dirty fingernails. We come into an organization and we not only show our clients, typically the CFO and the chief administrative officer in a health system, where we think we can drive cost savings. Why? Um, we look at it in terms of commercial savings, which is just rate-based. We look at it in terms of process savings. How can we stop doing something that's inefficient? And we look at it at specifications. Is there a way to reorder a specification so we get a cheaper uh, product? Um, we do all that for them, and then we actually go execute it. So we show them the roadmap or the blueprint, but then we also go execute it. And we execute it very simply for them or with them. So our delivery model is relaxed about whether they want to build this capability in-house, we'll teach them to fish, if you will, or if they don't want to build it in-house because they have 30 other priorities, we'll do it for them. We'll fish for them to stay with that analogy. Okay, thank you. So to add to that, I, I met uh, Dave and Logic Source a few years back, um, and it was just honestly a conversation we were having, and he started to talk to me about what Logic Source does and the types of organizations they work with. So, of course, as a health leader, my initial assumption is that's very nice. It has nothing to do with what I do. Uh, so fast forward, we, I, I asked, I said, so what kind of stuff do you do and how much do you spend? Well, I started looking at the things that Dave was talking about and started scratching my head saying, we buy the same things and we don't pay anything close to that, um, meaning we're paying more. Conversation went on and I said to Dave, I said, all right, well, for somebody like me, how much does it cost to have you assess what I'm spending today versus what I could spend tomorrow and save money? Dave looked at me and scratched his head. He says, what do you mean? I said, he used an example of the consultants, which is what I'm quite used to. And he said, what do you mean? What is it? I said, how much will it cost for you to do this assessment? He goes, we don't charge. We do this at our cost. We want to show you the value we'll bring to you. So at first, I didn't know the Dave. And I thought to myself, okay, that's interesting. I said, okay, so you come in, what's it, a 30-second overview? He's like, no, it's we dive into all your accounts payable. We dive into your contracts. We make sure that we actually go hard dollars and look at what savings we can have. So then my mind went to, okay, so you do this for me and you get me interested. Uh, what happens next? You, you, you charge me to look at the report. And he gave me a, a, an interesting facial response. And he said, we give it to you. I said, you do the cost assessment, you show me what the savings were, you do it at no cost to me, and then you give me the roadmap. And he said, yes. And I said, why wouldn't I do it? He said, that's yeah. a great question. 
So fast forward, we started looking at some of those costs and some of our clients today uh, are people that uh, we pick up the phone and said, hey, can we do this for you? And we did. And we do it. And what happens is the way we get involved is what Dave said. We have category experts that are really focused on the topics that Dave went into. Category experts to me, which are similar to people who are focusing clinically on orthopedics, on cardiovascular, same kind of concept, but in the indirect spend way. And we come in, we become part of the team. We become part of the team and we drive those savings. But it was very interesting. I started out as a, as a skeptic and I became not only super energized and enthused by it. Like I said, I, I switched careers and joined Logic Source because I think it's uh, well-timed and a huge opportunity. Great. Thank you. That's great background uh, on that. I'm wondering with your work with health systems, what are you seeing? Are you seeing any trends, any recommendations you have that you're seeing that health systems and hospitals do that you would like to say, stop doing this, please save money, you know, know, uh, anything we can put out there before they pick up the phone and call you? You know, that is a, a great question, and it's really one that I wish I knew the one and only answer to, because again, my entire career has been about leading health systems, so I want to help the future. Uh, obviously, if you're watching the press announcements and looking at, you're seeing the labor and you know the hospital mm-hmm. systems, you're seeing labor represents the most significant costs, you know that's going up, um, and, and you know that's, to me, the most important thing nurses and doctors and, and everybody that's part of the team, because without people there, you can't provide care and care is why we exist. So in, the, in addition to that, you're seeing the uh, reduction of forces going out. Uh, you're seeing hundreds, if not thousands of jobs being eliminated. You're seeing C-suite resignations. You're seeing uh, the interesting survey I saw from McKinsey the other day, the percentage of nurses likely to depart from direct care went up 10% in six, seven, nine months, went up 10%. It's almost 35%. The burnout rate, the care provider burnout rate, the stress rates, all these things aggregated together and it's overwhelming. And the unfortunate part is I don't see this coming to an end anytime soon. Mm. So if you're like me and you believe this is a serious risk to today and tomorrow, and you agree that labor represents a significant uh, and rising cost, then I think people are having a number of conversations. And I'm not suggesting I endorse these, but I, I know they're having a number of conversations. What are projects or services that are planned that we can delay or cancel? Uh, what's the risk of not replacing things that have exceeded their life cycle? Uh, what's clo- what are we doing that we can close or reduce access to? Clinics are an example. Uh, the, the conversation about, uh, is there a scenario where we can uh, ad- risk adjust staffing ratios? That to me is a overwhelming conversation because an example of that is nurse to patient ratios. Uh, and the only way I would ever even participate in a conversation like that is if we think about ways we can maximize skill sets so everyone's working up to the highest caliber of their training and, and licensure. Uh, but adjusting staffing ratios is a conversation. Uh, and then the other I, other category would be applied focus on non-labor costs. Again, labor represents 50, 60% of our costs. Yes. If we apply focus on it, it puts that uh, other portion in intense focus. You got the med surge supplies, which I talked about, which there's a uh, function to that. And then you got the non-clinical supplies, so all the categories that we're experts mm-hmm. in. So I think you got, uh, you got um, areas to focus on like that. Uh, And I know it sounds overwhelming, and I I wish I could say I'm exaggerating some of it, but I just believe those are the conversations that are happening. And and, and 
I, I would say, Susan, if, if I had a, a very short elevator ride with a CFO of a health system and, and they asked me the question you asked, I'd, so if I only had one answer I could give, I would say that the, the at the end of the day, this is all about quality of care. So if you have to drive savings, start with the suppliers you pay money to, not your people, because your people are going to affect the quality of care. So it's easier to just pull back on labor because it's a big number, but do the hard work and challenge your supply contracts and get best of market pricing on the things you buy so that you can keep your most critical asset, your people. Um, excellent. On both counts from, from what you've said, how involved are CEOs and CFOs in the supply chain? I mean, the, the old picture is of the person sitting in the basement of the hospital ordering supplies. I don't know if they've moved up to the C-suite now. How involved are they? How involved should they be? I, I shouldn't be smirking because uh, I, I might have been the one who took that picture years ago. <laughs> I, um, Dave, do you mind if I jump in here? Of on this one? Um, how involved are they or how involved should they be? Both, I think it's going to yeah. vary, but I, I think they need to be very involved. Um, we have a chat. We have to challenge our tradition. We are uh, an industry that is uh, risk adverse in many ways, um, and is one that respects our history, which we should. But we don't have to get locked in it. So we have to challenge tradition. We have to find a new way to do things, and that's where the CEOs and the C-suite come in. Uh, as we've said, and what the most important thing is, what hospitals are best at is patient care. Many things, many many things go into that, uh, of course. But it's time that as hospitals, we look at what are we the best at and what are others better at and how do we partner in that? And the only way to do that is set the culture and set the tone. And to me, that's what the CEOs, CFOs and the C-suite uh, have to do. Um, before we end, um, I'm wondering if you can say what, <clears throat> excuse me, you think is coming for 2023, because as you said, labor shortages don't seem to be going away anytime soon. Do you see any, um, you know, sort of something on the horizon that gives you hope for next year or something that you, you know, have any predictions about where where you see this going? Yeah, I mean, I, from a macro perspective, I would say I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to give us hope for next year. And it's a dark forecast. But uh, to steal from Game of Thrones, winter's coming. Oh. I think we're going to be in a recession. Um, I think this gets harder, not easier. Um, I do think some of the inflationary things we're seeing um, will ease because you're going to see layoffs and you're going to see consumer demand retract. Um, so I think that our, our CFOs, who are our primary port of call, need to get ready. And they have to push and challenge things like goods not for resale and non-med surge, because I don't think there's a light at the end of the tunnel in 2023. I think it gets worse, not better. Still, still a hard slog ahead. Brian, do you agree with that? I, unfortunately, I do. Um, I just read an article the other day, uh, and I won't mention the details, but there's a, there's a state that just announced a 20% um, uh, pay increase to nurses, which I obviously support and, and, and uh, endorse. But you're doing that in, in the fact that in the face of uh, operating margins in the negative. So we're going, we're pushing against the pressure and we're, we're 
we're going down financially. And if you don't have the finances, you don't have the ability to reinvest in your community, you don't have the ability to keep your services open. So we've just got to change our thinking. We've got to do things in a different way. But I don't, unfortunately, see a, a positive uh, prediction right now, a projection right now. And I see I see organizations, unfortunately, uh, health systems, unfortunately, either uh, reducing their services, going out of business, being acquired, all those types of things that um, I just don't think are good for our, our, uh, our healthcare industry. Okay. Well, thank you both very much, David and Brian, for speaking with Hims TV and HIMSCast. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and getting your insights. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for your time. <laughs>